Thank you for downloading this month's podcast of BJOG Editor's Choice with Deputy Editor-in-Chief Michael Marsh. This month's issue includes novel findings in papers dealing with such diverse topics as maternal choice for delivery in developed and developing countries, the effects of expert opinion on practice in the absence of high-grade evidence, and circulating RNA and preeclampsia. In resource-rich settings, studies to date indicate that elective induction of labour at 39 weeks gestation and over, without medical indication, does not lead to an increased rate of caesarean section, and indeed may lower in neonatal intensive care unit admissions. A study in this issue investigates factors associated with elective induction of labour, focusing on those requested by women. Kuhlman colleagues carried out a population study of around 15,000 women, and report that 14% of all inductions of labour were elective, and of these, around a half were at maternal request. Deliveries after such requests were more likely to be in women who had had two or more previous births, who lived more than 30 minutes away from the hospital, who delivered in a private hospital, and in women who were slightly less educated compared with those having elective induction of labour for other indications. It appears that elective induction and maternal request around 39 weeks is a quite common phenomenon and may increase in the future. Current data concerning its safety in the developed world suggest that obstetricians should think very carefully about resisting such requests. Decisions about what is a safe mode of delivery vary greatly between developed and developing countries. It has been argued, for example, that trial of labour after caesarean section is unsafe in low-resource settings because of the difficulties in adequate intrapartum monitoring, emergency transport and the availability of people with appropriate surgical skills to deal with uterine rupture. The study from sub-Saharan Africa by Kabori in this issue assesses maternal and perinatal outcomes associated with trial of labour after one caesarean section compared with elective repeat caesarean section. They found that for low-risk women, overall maternal morbidity and mortality were not increased. Intrabottom stillbirths were significantly more frequent than the trial of labour group, but total perinatal mortality was not significantly different after adjustment. This article is linked to a commentary which concludes there is no reason why a low-risk woman in sub-Saharan Africa with one previous caesarean section should not be offered an appropriately monitored trial of labour in hospital. It is chastening that the intrapartum stillbirth rates in this study, ranging around 1%, are very different from the percentages we deal with in similar conversations with women within the developed world. In the absence of high-grade evidence concerning thromboprophylaxis after caesarean section in different risk groups, expert opinion has had to be used for the development of guidelines aiming at reducing venous thromboembolism. Palmarola and colleagues report results from a study of nearly 300 women which examined the percentages of women that would qualify for prophylactic pharmacological thromboprophylaxis after caesarean section according to recommendations from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists in the UK and the American College of Chest Physicians. Under RCOG guidelines, 85% of patients would receive post-caesarean pharmacological prophylaxis compared to 1% of patients under ACOG guidelines and 35% of patients under CHESS guidelines. There is clearly a need to clarify optimal prophylaxis regimens in these and other pregnant women. Also included in this issue are two papers that look at the association between non-coding RNAs and preeclampsia. 
One compares circulating microRNA expression profiles between women with preeclampsia and healthy women and demonstrates that microRNA 88505P concentrations are greater in the plasma from preeclamptic women. The other study reports that levels of circular RNA 101222 in blood corpuscles of women between 8 and 20 weeks gestation who developed preeclampsia were significantly higher than levels in women who did not develop preeclampsia. The findings of both studies need to be validated in independent populations in replication studies, and two expert commentaries paired with these papers outline the great amount of work still to be done. However, microRNA shows promise as a tool for both the management and the prediction of preeclampsia. Thank you for listening to this month's BJOG Editor's Choice. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at bjogtweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.